Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. I'm going to start with a controversial statement. Are you ready for it? I believe that not all citizenships are worth the same. Okay, now try not to cancel me before I have time to explain myself. So I have been a missionary for the last 20 years with an organization called Youth with a Mission, or YWAM. And one of the things that I've done in my time with YWAM is led young people on short-term missions trips. So already as a 20-something-year-old, I was planning um, outreach outreaches, international outreaches for young people. So I would be in contact with hosts internationally. I would organize their flights and their visas and then also take them and lead them on the ground on a missions trip overseas. Now, the booking flights part was pretty easy for me. I was a travel agent before I joined YWAM. Uh, Yeah, something new. Uh, It was the getting visas part that uh, that a lot more consideration had to go into because the nationalities of the team members made a difference to how things went with getting visas. It affected whether they needed a visa at all, how much the visa would cost, what the processing time might be for that visa, and even how long they were allowed to stay in the country, how long the visa would be granted for. And so when you sometimes had as many nationalities on the team as people, it could be a little bit complicated to organize visas for an entire group. It was the first time that I saw firsthand that some passports were a lot more helpful and easy to travel on than others. According to the World Economic Forum, so they sound like they know what they're talking about, according to the World Economic Forum, the most powerful passport for five years in a row has been, can you guess it? Japan. Wow, good guess. I would not have gotten there. But yes, Japan is the most powerful passport, they've determined. 193 countries. If you have a Japanese passport, you can travel to 193 countries without a visa at all, visa-free. That's pretty impressive. Australia, you're in tied at number eight with Canada, just so you know. It's like 185 countries you can travel to visa-free. So it's pretty good. It's hard to get statistics on it, but it seems like the most forged and stolen passports, however, are not the Japanese, maybe because less people can get away with um, appearing Japanese. But the UK and EU country passports seem to be the most popular for forgeries and theft right now, um, just because of the volume of people trying to get into and work in Europe. 
I have a funny story. It is a true story. My friend Dunstan is from the Solomon Islands, and he was also working with Youth with a Mission, taking international outreach teams. And he was leading a team to Ethiopia. And to get to Ethiopia from Brisbane, they had to fly through South Africa. And they had a long layover. It was like 24 to 48 hour layover in Johannesburg. And so they booked some hotels. They were going to do some exploration of South Africa on their way to Ethiopia. And as a good, responsible leader, when they got to the immigration desks, he made sure that all of his teammates went through before him to see that they all got through safely before he came up to the desk himself. And he comes up to the desk himself and hands over his passport to the immigration officer who had never heard of the Solomon Islands and did not believe it was a real country. So the rest of the team were exploring Johannesburg for two days, and Dunstan was stuck in the international terminal of the airport because they wouldn't let him through. So he lived in the airport for two days while his team was seeing South Africa. So it's just a hunch, but I'm pretty confident in my assumption that there's not a large market for forged or stolen Solomon Islands passports. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I am. Today we are continuing our series on the book of Philippians, our series called Indestructible Joy. And we're in the second chapter chapter of... Second chapter, we're not. We're in the second half of chapter three of Philippians. There we go. If I can find the place, I'll be able to preach from it. And starting at verse 17, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, from where the Lord Jesus Christ where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, as we read through this passage today, I think it can be really easy for us to skip over this mention of citizenship and not really think twice about it. But for the original readers of this letter, the church in Philippi, they would have locked onto this mention of citizenship because citizenship was a hot button cultural issue for them in the Roman world. There are three important things that I want to talk about with regard to citizenship today. Citizenship gives identity. Citizenship offers privileges and citizenship carries responsibility. What do I mean when I say that citizenship gives identity? Have you ever heard or seen an Irish person react to being called British? No? What about a Canadian reacting to being called American? Yes, you have seen that one, huh? Not from me, surely. I am a Canadian, just to be clear. I am. (laughs) A boat, a boat, a boat. 
So there's this buzz phrase that I've been hearing a lot, seeing a lot on social media platforms. I've found my people or I've found my community. Belonging is something that is so important to us all as humans. Belonging is something that we can get from a national identity. That's part of what what makes us think of ourselves as who we are. Our national identity can give us a sense of belonging to a group of people that's bigger than ourselves. Give us a sense of belonging. To be a citizen means that we have a shared set of beliefs, a shared culture, culture, and even some shared sense of experiences with a group of people, and that can make us feel like we belong. The Roman Empire was, first of all, just that. It was an empire. And we think of citizenship as people who are from countries. So typically, if you're born in a country, you're automatically a citizen of that country. But that's not the way that it worked in the Roman Empire. I have a map coming up here of the Roman Empire. I've marked the capital Rome there. It's on the iconic Italian boot, the Italian peninsula. And then I've also marked Philippi, which is the location that this letter was written to. But the whole red area there is the Roman Empire. So you can see that it stretches from Spain, Portugal, all the way across Europe, lower Europe, down through the Middle East and extends all the way across the top of Africa. So it was a really large empire. But outside of the Italian peninsula, in all of the other conquered territories of the empire, which is the majority of the empire, you were not automatically a citizen just because you lived there or were born there. In fact, the majority of the residents of the Roman Empire were not Roman citizens. There were three ways that people could gain Roman citizenship. They could gain it by birth, but only if they were born to legally married Roman citizens. They could be given it for special service to the state. So if they served in the military for 20 years, for example, they could get Roman citizenship. Or it could be purchased, and it was to be purchased for an incredibly high price. So it wasn't something that your average person could afford. But the city of Philippi was quite special in the Roman Empire. About 90 years before this letter was written, Philippi was made a Roman colony, and all of the townspeople were granted Roman citizenship. And at that point, they adopted the Latin language, and Philippi became known as being like a little Rome. It was a very special city in the Roman Empire. And having this Roman citizenship made the Philippian people part of an elite group in society. They were the first class status people in the empire as citizens. So we know that citizenship gives identity and Roman Roman citizenship specifically gave them an identity of superiority. 
The second feature of citizenship, sorry, yes, of citizenship, is that citizenship gives privileges. There was a lot of privileges of being a Roman citizen. They were exempt from certain taxes, which clearly gives you a bit of a head start financially over others. They had voting privileges, which if you weren't a citizen, you couldn't do. So it meant that they could elect people who would make decisions that would be beneficial to them. They had the right to buy and sell property, which again is going to be important for their ability to uh, grow their wealth. And they also had certain protections under Roman law. Uh, Things like if they were arrested, they weren't allowed to be beaten or bound. They uh, had the right to a fair trial. And no death penalty sentence could be issued to a Roman citizen. So these are pretty significant privileges that separated them from the ordinaries in the Roman Empire. Can you imagine if Australia functioned this way? No, thank you. Only people born in Canberra are Australian citizens and get all of the privileges and rights that come along with being an Australian. But if you were born anywhere else, you are a second-class member of society. Doesn't sit very well, does it? It Sounds very ugly. But that's what it was like in the Roman world. So citizenship offers privileges, and for the Roman citizen, it gave them a significant advantage over others. I'm actually in the process of becoming an Australian citizen after 20 years here in Australia. Thank you, thank you. I take my citizenship test on Tuesday next week, so I'm a little bit nervous about it, but I have been studying, and I've been doing some practice tests online. And the book that the Australian government give you to study for citizenship is called Australian Citizenship, Our Common Bond. It's very nice. Our Common Bond. And I was expecting that there would be a lot of questions with dates, which scares me because I get numbers all jumbled up. Uh, of key events, things like historical figures of Australia, systems of government, and there is a little bit of that on it, but I thought it would be a lot of that tricky kind of trivia. But if the practice tests are anything to go off, and I really hope they are, most of the questions on the citizenship test are actually related to ensuring that new citizens are familiar with the values of Australian society. And that makes sense to me, actually, once I saw that, because as a citizen, it's your responsibility to uphold the laws and values of your nation. And so it's more important, I think, for prospective citizens to have a clear understanding of the values of Australian society than it is to know the trivia things like who was the first prime minister of Australia, which I don't know, so I hope it's not on the test. (laughs) One of the things that surprised me as I was studying was that mateship is a real word. (laughs) 
I thought Australians had made that up, but mateship apparently is a real word, and it's one of the governing values of Australian society, and I think it's actually a wonderful societal value to have your society at the center of your society, this desire that people would look out for the benefit of others. That's something really beautiful, and that was not central to the value system of the Roman Empire. Last week, Andrew shared about the Roman value system, the system of their society, and how it was very self-seeking and self-promoting. To be Roman meant to pursue your own desires and wealth and status. So citizenship carries responsibility, but for the Roman citizens, that responsibility was to serve themselves. And when superiority and advantage and self-service are at the root of your culture, it's no surprise that the fruit of Roman culture was pride. And Paul knew that pride was going to continue to be a stumbling block for the church in Philippi as they tried to live Christian lives. He knew that a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So he expertly addresses this issue by going to the root of pride. And he does this by reminding them that they have a new citizenship. They are citizens of heaven, as the passage we just read said. If they cling to their old identity, their Roman identity, their destiny will be destruction. But if they embrace their new citizenship, their destiny will be salvation. So that's the first step. We've got to embrace a new identity. Our identity is as citizens of heaven. Any of us who have ever had to give something up before know that it can be a really hard, really emotional exercise especially when it's something that is dear to us, like the Roman citizenship was to these Philippian believers. But it's a lot, a lot, a lot easier when we're parting with it for something better. Yeah? And I think that's why Paul starts with sharing with them his testimony of his choice to embrace his new identity. So going back to verse 7 of chapter 3, read what Paul has to say about it. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul weighs up the benefits of being a citizen of heaven, and his verdict is that the privileges of this citizenship are much greater. He says here that I have the privilege of knowing God, 
of being one with Christ and being righteous with him. And in comparison to that, all that Rome has to offer is absolutely worthless. Our privilege is to know God and be made right with him through faith. And when we know God, aligning himself or aligning ourselves with his values becomes our responsibility as citizens of heaven. Since the church in Philippi had not seen Jesus firsthand themselves, Paul gives them this instruction. He says, imitate me. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Now you might think at first glance, well, that sounds like pride. (laughs) Follow me, do what I do. But Paul has no illusions of his own perfection. He follows this by saying, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. The broader message throughout this letter, we've got Jesus is the ultimate example of humility in laying down his life for others. And then Paul says, I, Paul, am following that example of humility and choosing to lay down my life to serve others. And then calling them, now, follow me as I follow Christ. So this isn't a statement of pride. It's a statement of knowing who he is as a citizen of heaven, where he's headed, and calling others to go there with him. Our responsibility is to live like citizens of heaven, following the example of Jesus' humility. The culture of heaven is humility, righteousness in Christ, and service of others. So again, it's no surprise that the fruit of this is that it produces unity. Clearly, not all citizenships are equal. One produces pride, and one produces unity. So I have a few questions for us this morning. I'm just going to call Naomi up on the keys. And the first question I have for us is, is your life producing unity? That's kind of a big question. Maybe it can seem a bit theoretical. So I'm going to share a story with you. Uh, of something that happened recently recently in my life that had me considering what I was producing in my life. And it's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't want to share it with you because I come out looking really bad in this story. But it's relevant, and so I feel like it's, it's something that needs to be shared. I asked Naomi for her permission to share this story, just so you know, because it's also about her. Uh, And she's given me permission to share it. So she's not just standing back there really embarrassed as I do this. Maybe she still is. 
So Naomi and Twinkie lead our worship team here at the church. And maybe a month or two months ago, Naomi started this thing as a group chat with the worship team that she would post a verse of the day from the Psalms, and then she would tag someone in the worship team to share a reflection about that psalm. And so a few others had already shared their reflections, and then one day I got tagged. And I was in the middle of making dinner, I think, and I picked up my phone, and I saw this message, and I thought to myself, I don't need one more thing to do. So I ignored it. And a week later, I got a friendly little reminder message from Naomi saying, we haven't had your reflection shared on this verse yet. (sighs) And I knew that my attitude was wrong, but I was annoyed. But I still went into the group and I read my psalm and I made a reflection on it, typed it back to the group. And then I sent another message. I sent a message to Naomi um, to apologize for my attitude towards participation and just explain to her that it was a really busy season and I'd been kind of struggling to keep on top of things. And her response to me was so incredibly gracious She said, oh, you know, if there's busy times, don't worry, we'll work around you. Just let me know if you've got to pull back from things so we don't give you more than you could handle. She was just so lovely about it. And then she went on to explain the heart of why they had started this exercise with the worship team, that it was to get us engaging more with the word and maturing in our ability to lead worship and also to build unity within the team. And immediately upon reading this, my annoyance turned to conviction. I was like, oh, God, why am I still so immature? Because I knew that even in my busyness, it wasn't like there was no time. I could have responded to this message. There was time. It was just my time. Had a lot of things on my plate. And I find that when I have lots of things on my plate, I become really protective of my time, my rest time, and I don't want to fill it with things for other people. I just want to do what I want to do with it. And so it was something that was coming from a place of selfishness. And so I responded to her and I said, thank you for for being gracious. Thank you for saying that I could pull back from things when I needed to, but I think it's actually better for me that I learn to surrender my selfishness, surrender that to God rather than just have less on my plate so that I don't have any need to continue to grow in my, uh, in my spirit, in my maturity. Now, I want you to hear my heart that I'm not saying rest isn't important. I'm not saying that we should do and do and do and drive ourselves into the ground. That's not a good idea either. I'm just talking about addressing the issues of selfishness that exist in us. So instead of choosing 
what was for the good of the team, what was for the good of others, I made a choice to focus on what was good for me, what I wanted. And my attitude in that produced something yucky instead of producing unity. The fruit of what she was doing was to produce unity in our team. And I chose selfishness. So my question to you is, are you producing unity in your life? Are you producing unity in your marriage? Are you producing unity in your friendships? In your workplace? In your church? And the second question is, who have you set before yourself as an example to follow? This isn't about putting people on pedestals and expecting them to be perfect. But it is about identifying people who have set their hearts on following God so that we can watch their lives and learn from them. It's too easy to get to a place, I think, where we feel okay about ourselves. We feel satisfied with how far we've come, how much we've grown. Can think, oh, I used to be a real mess, but now I'm a pretty good person. I'm okay with that. Or I may not be fully developed into Christ-likeness, but I'm Christ-ish. I can live with that. Christ-ish is going to be enough for me. Where we stop striving to really follow after Jesus and really deal with the ugliness in our hearts. But Paul's attitude is so amazing as he describes it here in Philippians. He says that I'm going to press on until I reach it. Knowing that he never would in this lifetime, it didn't matter because he was going to press on until he reached that Christ-likeness. I'd like us all to stand. And we're going to take a few moments as Naomi continues to play here. And I'm going to have her play again one of the songs that we sang this morning. You can have my heart. As we were in worship and we were singing these words, Be the Lord of my emotions. Set me free from selfish motives. You can have my heart. Just felt like, yeah, that's... That's what this morning is about. Let's remember to be set free, not just sing it, but really choose to surrender our selfish motives to God. Let's choose citizenship of heaven. Choose a life that is about serving and loving and showing Christ's example of humility to others rather than seeking self. So we're going to ask ourselves these two questions this morning. Am I, is my life producing unity? And who have I set before myself as an example to follow? And just give ourselves a few minutes to have an opportunity for God to speak to us. I was thinking about this picture in regards to following someone. I don't know if you've ever watched professional cycling, but they They'll often come behind another strong competitor and 
draft off them or slipstream, slipstream off them. They come behind someone who's doing well so that they can benefit from the momentum of the person in front of them. So this isn't about making someone else an idol to us. It's about gaining from the momentum that someone else already has in following Christ and using that momentum to grow in our own upholding of the values of heaven. So let's ask ourselves those questions this morning, and we'll just take a few minutes to let God speak to us. And I'm going to ask some, some prayer team people to come up the front in case there is someone or is anyone who would like some prayer um, for any of the areas in your life. If you feel like, yeah, actually, this is something that God's really putting a finger on. I need to be producing unity in this area in my life and haven't been. Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.